Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to this MoneyWeb Twitter Spaces broadcast. It's the second one we've do, we are doing, and I think today we will discuss uh, a lot of elements of the national budget presented by Enoch Gurungwana yesterday. My name is Raik van Nikak, and I'm the editor of MoneyWeb, and uh, we will look today at the high and low lights of yesterday's budget, the tax implications and how it affects your pocket and our very fragile economy. We will also analyze government steps to assist ESKIM and the incentives Enochurangwana announced for businesses and households to install energy solutions. Some very interesting announcements uh, around uh, that incentive. And we'll also look at the impact of the budget on businesses and especially small businesses in the country which, of course, is the mainstay of our economy. I'm very too competent co-host. Seren Naidu is the MoneyWeb Deputy Editor. Seren, uh, welcome. And then also Akona Machoba. She's a MoneyWeb journalist, and she also hosts the Small Business Conversations podcast. Akona, I want to rope you in quickly. You, were, you and Seren were in lockup yesterday, uh, which is a very interesting concept because it allows you to study the budget for hours before the minister actually speaks. How, how does that process work? Um, Soren? Well, it was my fifth one with a corner and my colleague in Tando. Uh, it's quite exciting for news teams when we go for the lockup. It's quite nerve-wracking when you're there and you try to get through uh, literally uh, probably over a thousand pages. There's... Um, presentations and annexures and a whole lot of stuff that you need to go through. So we're not lucky enough to get the budget speech early in the morning. We The lockup starts around 7, uh, but you get all the supporting documents. So you try to get your stories from all the supporting documents, but the actual quotes from the minister, um, um, you will only get that uh, speech probably, uh, you know, an hour or so before he can speak. But uh, yeah, it's uh, quite a a busy day for most newsrooms. All the, the big big players are there and MoneyWeb's there every year. This year we had, uh, besides the three of us, um, internal MoneyWeb journalists, at, at the Pretoria lockup, we had Roy Cocaine, who's a contributor to MoneyWeb, also in the Pretoria lockup. And we had Amanda, our resident tax uh, journalist. She covers other areas, but her forte is tax. Um, she was in the Cape Town lockup. Yes, it's an interesting concept because uh, you need to, you can go in early. Of, of course, there is a lot of sensitive information in the budget documents and you ha need to hand in your phone so you cannot communicate with anyone until the minister starts to speak. Um, we will uh, look at all these aspects. The other guests uh, which will join us would be Amanda Fisser, as you've said. She's MoneyWeb's tax expert. And Ndumisu Wadebe is uh, the chief economist at KH Equity Partners. And Nazreen Kader, she's a tax expert at Old Mutuals. She's the global head of tax um, at that one of the largest insurers in the company. But what makes Twitter Spaces so exciting is that everyone can participate. So please direct questions and comments uh, or DM it to me. 
and I'm confident we will be able to answer those, or at least I hope so. But let's uh, kick off with the, the first uh, session where we will look at the highlights of uh, the budget and most importantly, probably tax implications. Everybody looks at the budget every year because then uh, there could be tax changes and it's always uh, affecting everyone's um, pockets. Uh, Amanda Fisser, um, welcome. Just give us a broad o overview. Let's start with the the, the impressions of the budget. Uh, wh what was your main impression of the budget and how do you think taxpayers should look at it? Good afternoon, Rake, and uh, to all the participants. Um, I think I was looking and reading and trying to find something that is new, that is fresh, that is different. And it was quite difficult to find it. But I think in the circumstances that we are in at the moment, it is quite understandable. So there's no new uh, taxes, no increases in the rates. Uh, there's some relief in terms of um, inflation-related increases so that, you know, we escape bracket creep, that you don't get less than uh, what uh, your um, employer intended you to get because of tax. And uh, they were they were also, of course, then the you know the renewable energy incentive, and also some uh, relief for households who want to get off the grid or at least to become a little bit less dependent on on ESCOM. Otherwise, you know, yeah, it's, yeah it was um, the fuel levy, of, of course, as well. That you know, there's no increases there because we're sitting with uh, a petrol price that is already beyond 20 rand. Yeah, we will go into those in a little bit more detail just now. But Ndumiso Adebe, welcome to this uh, Twitter Spaces broadcast. You know, you come from, uh, you're an economist. So just give us your broad overviews. What, what stood out for you? What do you think are the highlights and what do you think are perhaps the lowlights? Good afternoon, Rick, and uh, good afternoon to everyone joining the Twitter Space this afternoon. Yeah, Rick, I think certainly... Uh, I can see Ndomiso is uh, connecting. Um, so, Amanda, let's quickly look at the big taxes. Let's start with income tax. Everybody who works uh, need to pay income tax. And in the past, uh, well, South Africa is one of the highest uh, tax rates uh, in the world. It is a progressive system, so not everybody pays the same. But no real surprises there. Maybe the fact that the Treasury increased the tax brackets uh, with inflation, um, something it hasn't done so in a few years or didn't give the full inflationary relief. Uh, what are your thoughts on income tax? Yeah, that's that's quite true. They, they have given some relief, you know, but not uh, full relief. So I think the 15 billion that is not going to the fiscus but will remain in our pockets may help a little bit. Um, there has been quite an increase in the uh, income income tax collections for individuals. Uh, it's about 8.6% up uh, as was predicted in the February budget last year. Uh, corporate income tax was also a higher, mainly because, you know, uh, we're still seeing the commodity prices that is helping the mining industry that has been doing quite well. The dividend, uh, dividend tax was also quite, um, uh, yeah, it increased about 15%. And then the value-added tax, there was a bit of a dip there that uh, was caused by the zero rating on exports. 
and there was quite some a high level of export. So those are generally the biggest um, takers of, of, of the tax. You know, the, the three big taxes are income tax uh, for corporates and for individuals and then VAT. Demiso, just back to you. What do, what do you regard as the high and low lights? Can I interject there? I'm not sure if everybody can hear uh, Ndomiso, but uh, Rick, perhaps we can bring Nazarene in. Yes. Nazarene, your thoughts? What stood out for you? Thank you, Rake. Um, yeah, it, it is uh, impossible to hear Ndomiso. I, I don't know if it's my side. So very, very quickly, I think this was very much a case of a calm before the storm. Um, there's temporary respite in many ways. Lots of people are describing this budget as good news. For me, it was very much a case of just stem the panic. And I think some of the things that we were hoping that he will be a little bit, uh, you know, push the agenda on, like the, uh, for example, ESKIM, the five-letter swear word, um, the investments for renewable energy that Amanda has already mentioned. I don't know if it went fast far enough. Uh, particularly disappointing for me was the specifics around wasteful expenditure in the public sector. Now, this whole thing about government wage bills and unions, he was very respectfully saying to the unions, we're not about to discuss it here. Uh, he's not going to preempt a conversation. Um, he was not clear about how he was going to implement these cost savings that apparently has already been identified. If, if you recall, President said in his sauna that areas have been identified for cost savings, and uh, the Minister of Finance will give more detail. The Minister of Finance threw it right back and said, as the Minister mentioned in his sauna, areas have been identified and, you know, this is what we will be implementing. So it was never a clear message. And then also this um, restriction on filling non-critical vacancies. The vacancies have been, it, it's the critical vacancies that, that have uh, remained unfulfilled. The non-critical vacancies are pretty much filled. So there's a, for me, there was a little bit of disappointment. But, uh, you know, Minister Gonangwana, it's very easy for us to be commenting on whether this was a good budget or a bad budget. In the circumstances, I think it was a very honourable budget um, and one for the people. Uh, Amanda, I, I, I can't hear Rick, but I, I, I wanted to ask uh, about the tax rate. Obviously, the corporate tax rate was... Uh, announced that it would be lowered last year to 27%, I believe, and that will come into effect this year. Uh, the OECD uh, has talked about, um, you know, much lower rates for, for a lot of countries that are thriving. Uh, what's your views on this? Do we have space in the future for further cuts? Because that uh, drop to 27% was also is also effectively tax neutral in many ways. That's true. That's true. Um, because the um, assessed loss, and, and I know um, Nazreen will be much better to answer these questions, but, you know, the, the, the assessed loss that people can um, roll over, that has been limited to offset that. Uh, lost to the fiscus because of the drop to 27%. But as you say, our tax rates are generally very high for the level of growth economy that we have. And it is quite shocking to see that, you know, um, with, with the amount of collections that there are, 
compared to the growth in the economy, um, you know, I can just see every taxpayer being squeezed dry to get that collections out uh, without the growth that, that we should see. Thank you, Amanda. Nazreen, do you, do you want to add from your side? Uh, are you the tax expert? <laughs> Many things, uh, but let's just go with tax expert for today. Uh, the average corporate tax rates worldwide, this is an average, is about 23%. And so if you're considering our 27%, it is still high relatively. And that downward trend internationally that you mentioned is a fact. The, the other question that we should be asking contextually is, do we actually collect 28% or 27%? And the answer is no, we don't. Because if we did, then the corporate tax contribution to the total tax pie wouldn't be as low as 20.4%. So I guess what I'm saying is that there is sufficient scope to reduce that even further without impacting collections in any significant way. This is just my view. It is speculation. I know that the commissioner has gone on record to say, uh, you know, that those rates will be reduced. Uh, but nothing's happened this budget, as you, as you mentioned. What snuck into the budget review in Annex C was a new tax. The global minimum tax of 15% that uh, South Africa was a signatory to with the OECD countries uh, about last year this time. And that's going to, you know, we're going to set a legislative framework as part of the 2024 uh, legislative cycle. And what that actually means is that South African global multi, well, South African multinational companies operating in low or no tax jurisdictions might end up paying a so-called top-up tax up to 15%. So if they're paying 2% in those countries, they will have to make up the 13% here uh, payable to the South African Revenue Service. Just going back to, um, apologies, just going back to um, the tax rates, uh, you talked about effectively paying 20%. So uh, is it a case of uh, the extra 3 billion or so announced uh, a year or two ago to support uh, SARS? Um, is slowly paying uh, dividends, as it were, because everybody's talking about uh, benefit from um, the mining sector and, and all those royalties coming in, or not royalties, but extra taxes because of the boom. But um, um, I, I've heard the, the SARS commissioner talk about, um, you know, they're becoming a lot more efficient and maybe too efficient. I, I don't know if I'm right to say that, but what's your views on that? Because I know a lot of... Higher income earners are complaining about the amount of uh, back and forth with SARS that they, they have to deal with. And uh, that's individuals, but I suppose companies to some effect too. So, so I, I believe the question's directed at me, so I'll go for it. I think a reality check, the commodities boom is over. We're already, already in a downward trend. I think the other point is that the commissioner has emerged as a hero, uh, not just this year, but you know, in, in the last couple of years. And this particular year, that revenue collections overshoot was solely because of SARS's efforts, as you mentioned. And I think, I don't know about being overzealous, which is what you were hinting at. I think as, you know, this year in particular, the budget did not hint at a tax gap. And I mean, the tax gap is really the difference between what you ought to be collecting and what you actually collect. And rumor has it, because there's no empirical evidence in this budget, that that gap is about 10%. 10% of the potential tax base. That is about 2% of our GDP. And so if you consider it in that light, 
although the commissioner is a hero, he needs to be a hero for a few more years before we can actually close that gap. So there's a lot to do. It isn't necessarily uh, beating the ones that are already paying their fair share, but it's going, you know, going up against those that are avoiding or evading what they should be paying. So I'll leave it there. Yes, Nazreen, I spoke to um, the Edward Kiesweter last night, and he did say there's still a lot of room for SARS to improve. Remember, under the previous regime, uh, a lot of damage was caused to SARS. They've lost a lot of skills. And, and I mm. think just looking at what was achieved during this past financial year, it's definitely clear that he is starting to do the right things. Um, the compliance levels are rising, although, although they're not where they need to be, they are rising. And that's probably a, a big positive. Mm. Absolutely. And that's why he's got a further injection in this budget. Uh, what was that investment there? I, I must admit I didn't uh, uh, hear the official number, but they've already got three billion rand from a year or two ago. Yeah, I also saw that. That's correct. Yeah. No, please, Amanda. No, I, I also saw that they said that they're going to uh, give SARS more money and improve their administration and, and their systems. But I also did not find uh, the, the quantity of how much they will get. So maybe, uh, Nazreen, perhaps you have more insight. I think that was deliberately left out. <laughs> there was no number, so we scoured that entire budget for it. All he announced was a proposed injection into the SARS budget to improve revenue-raising capabilities. But I think the point made earlier that he was already allocated uh, about 3 billion rands in last year's budget to be phased in. I don't know if that was meant to be just reiterating that or a additional incentive. Well, it seems to be a good return on that investment. Um, but uh, let's talk about the solar incentives, um, because I think they were significant. Everybody was expecting some sort of incentive announcement. Uh, and let's start with households. Um, uh, Amanda, what what were the broad guidelines of that incentive? Um, Rick, I think the the extension of the um, incentive for, for businesses are, are quite significant, but I I'm not convinced, uh, and from the commentators that I have spoken to, I'm not convinced that the incentive for individuals is that um, attractive because it's only for solar panels and you are restricted to 15,000 rand per individual. So, you know, if you want to get your uh, household off the grid or at least uh, very independent from, from ESCOM, that's not going to uh, take you very far, especially at the moment when everybody wants to put solar in. The panels are more expensive, the batteries are more expensive, everything is more expensive. I'm not sure how far that 15,000 is going to get you and, you know, how difficult is it going to, to convince us to give you that money? Yeah, I find it interesting because the, the guideline is you can get a tax deduction of 25% of the installation of, as you said, solar panels but you can so if you in, uh, install solar panels to the value of 60,000 rand you will get a tax benefit of 15,000 rand if you spend more it is capped at 15 um uh, I, I think you know it's better than than nothing and Nazreen, what what are your thoughts yeah i think i'm going to say that i just want to clarify that the way the budget review reads and this is not legislation so it could be very different the suggestion is that it's a rebate, meaning it's 15,000 rands off your final tax bill. 
So I don't think we should be too critical. It's a little bit. It's not meant for people who can afford it or live in six-bedroom households. So also, perspective is everything. This is meant for your sort of lower to medium uh, to that are taxpayers because you have to be a taxpayer to get the rebate. And it's not a deduction. The way the review reads, it's a rebate. That means it's 15,000 rands off your final tax bill. So I think it's, it's not overly generous, but it is a very narrow uh, incentive granted to a very specific income level. Definitely not those uh, that can afford to, um, you know, go solo all the way or put in generators of their own, etc. Now, I think it will remain to be seen whether it actually uh, gets a lot of uh, traction. Uh, but I think businesses can actually be uh, slightly more interested in the concessions made there. Uh, what uh, what are the key elements and how does it work, Nasreen? Yeah, so that's actually a very, um, I would say, generous. It's 125% of the cost, but it's only over the the incentive is very temporary. So if you don't claim it between 1 March and uh, 20, you know, 1 March 2025, you won't get it. So they're actually trying to, in my view, accelerate the shift of businesses to become self-sufficient and off the grid. And 125% means you're going to get 25% more. So it's actually paying you a little bit to go off grid. And I think that's a huge step. But it's also there's a time limit and it needs to be done quickly or you won't get the benefit. There's also no retrospective application. So for those businesses that became self-sufficient before this, this is not a retroactive uh, implementation. I don't think it will be. This is going forward. Amanda, your views? If I can, if I can just add then what I think is I, I, if I was a small business, I would really consider um, getting some funds to, to get off the grid as soon as possible because uh, this is, this is going to help them if you walk into a shop and people tell you, I can't uh, offer you coffee now. You know, I'm not going to come back next time when there's load shedding. So I think a lot of people might really consider uh, putting this investment in their business. Can I just interject? I don't know how Ndumiso's uh, uh, speak is, is uh, if he's available to chat. But uh, Ndumiso, do you want to share some of your thoughts on, on, on some of what we've discussed so far? either the tax side or um, the solar. Um, yes, of course, Yuren. Uh, can you hear me now, perhaps? Yes. Ah, wonderful, wonderful. Um, I guess it might, it might still be the effects of uh, the energy issues that we're facing. Um, but of course, I think okay. um, the, for, for the perspective that one was able to get from the budget that was delivered uh, by the minister yesterday was certainly because of the upside of higher, than, um, higher tax receipts that we received as a result of what has already been mentioned from SARS, um, what certainly came out quite strongly is um, the budget certainly intended to address what I think is the main um, country risk in South Africa, which of course is the energy crisis. But secondly, what, come, what came out quite strongly is the need to ensure that governance over state-owned enterprises is indeed strengthened. Now, we've seen over the past couple of years when it has been mentioned that there's been reviews in terms of uh, consequent man consequence management frameworks and of course some reviews with respect to uh, Schedule 2 in terms of the PFMA and so forth. And so what has been quite pertinent for me now is that given the pronouncement that has been made in terms of the national state of disaster, 
the energy uh, relief packages that have been put forward, the ESCOM debt relief bill that has also been tabled uh, to Parliament, what is going to make sure that the bang for buck is certainly yielded from those efforts that have been pronounced from the budget will be strengthened governance and oversight over those issues. Now, we've seen in in certain instances where National Treasury um, has announced that there is indeed a consequent management framework that has been, um, that is now readily available and some others, um, uh, uh, some preliminary um, um, frameworks for managing bailouts for SOEs will be published in March for consultation. Um, I think the output of that is certainly what is going to determine whether or not the growth-enhancing efforts that have been pronounced yesterday by the minister are going to yield the intended benefits over the medium term. And I think, based on what has been presented, that will be the true test of the, of the, of the interventions that have been pronounced. You could have a whole Twitter space session on ESCOM, especially with all the politics that's happening over the last day or two. The timing is quite uh, crazy. But $254 billion, uh, was that the only option for ESCOM? And um, is it enough? Well, it, 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 it's, I mean, I think when, when we're talking about ESCOM now and looking into the future, Siren, what, how we need to start thinking, and this needs to be something that certainly needs to permeate at a policy level. And of course, I think in the imaginations of South Africa in terms of how we look at overall energy security. When we're thinking about energy security and, this, uh, and the energy mixes that are associated with the availability and, of course, the supply of electricity, we need to think in a much bigger sense as to as to, as opposed to just one singular entity being ASCOM. And I think that has been part of the, 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 the bone of contention that has been happening at a policy space. But I think the practicalities of the challenges that South Africa faces and the risks that, um, uh, uh, that the unavailability of reliable electricity supply uh, places on the South African economy necessitates that we have that particular view. The, the, the ESCOM debt relief bill in this instance of that over 250 uh, billion rand, and of course, um, it, it would be sort of an equity um, uh, a transaction on the side of National Treasury into, into, into ESCOM. Uh, imagining ESCOM being able to service its obligations, including its operational requirements outside of, of that intervention is quite difficult to imagine outside of if there is a private player that would also intervene. Now, of course, we would know that from a, a political risk point of view, it raises certain arguments um, or certain pushback in, in that sense. So given that the, the minister has already pronounced this particular intervention, the true test certainly will, will how well governed will that, uh, uh, um, uh, that, that pronouncement be. Of course, we've seen the conditions that have been highlighted, such as um, that $250 billion should only be intended towards settling debt and interest payments and capital expenditure uh, for transmissions and of course um, the implementation of recommendations that National Treasury uh, would uh, uh, put in place an independent assessor of ESCOM's operations. Um, We have heard that in the past in previous budget speeches um, and I guess the follow-up on that becomes quite the becomes a bit of a blurred line as to whether or not there's been follow through. Hence, I think the question of governance uh, becomes quite crucial in this instance. Uh, Ndumiso, just from my side, what stood out for me was related to Eskom. 
was that there were very strict conditions attached to government's assumption of that 254 billion rand in debt. And it definitely seems as if uh, government wants to go a hybrid privatization route. For example, the conditions stipulate that an independent consortium, interesting choice of words by the minister, would do an operational analysis of all ESKIM's operations and then make recommendations which ESKIM must implement. And following that, the operations of the power stations will be outsourced to the private sector on a concession basis. And I think those are very, very strict and very interesting, uh, you know, guidelines or restrictions. They certainly are, Rake, and and, and one um, may then presume that it's, it certainly suggests a particular pathway in terms of how we need to look at um, uh, energy security and, and ESCOM's role in, in the provision of that. Um, in, in terms of uh, those uh, conditions as well, um, it, it, it's quite interesting in the sense uh, that the, uh, the wording that is used, uh, as you've quite correctly mentioned, around uh, must implement the, those recommendations, it almost serves as as a precursor to uh, the work that has already been going in terms of the restructuring of ESCOM, uh, or, or rather the, the unbundling of ESCOM in this instance. Um, certainly, again, the true trust, given the recent developments that, that we've certainly seen come out from um, the outgoing CEO, is how the how we're then able to navigate the constraints that are associated with um, uh, governance issues and, of course, some of um, political interferences that tend to happen in a transaction of this nature as a highly contested terrain. And I think that's where we certainly need to keep our eyes and ears open um, and also lend a hand where necessary to ensure that um, this process certainly yields the kind of dividend that we need for the next 20 years and beyond. Now, it's interesting also, if you rope in the comments by Andre de Reiter, where he said there is systemic corruption within ESCOM, um, and suddenly, and out, for, for me, out of nowhere, government wants to also include the private sector um, within ESCOM, especially the operations. Uh, I don't know if there's a link there. But it most definitely sends a signal that government does not believe that Eskom's existing structures will be able to function properly under the status quo in a year or two. Well, of course, I, th I think, Ray, because uh, especially when you look at the over the medium term, the allocations towards infrastructure spending um, in excess of over 900 billion rand over the medium term and 440 of that being allocated towards SOEs. Um, now, th that certainly suggests that there's a high prioritization in, of course, uh, resourcing and improving efficiency gains uh, from an SOE uh, point of view, given the, the, the value drivers that they play in driving economic activity as network industries. But of course, it then becomes an important area specifically as it relates to ESCOM and the role that public-private partnerships have to play in, in this instance. The, 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 the other important consideration, certainly in realizing um, um, a positive outcome of, of, of such a process, has been uh, some of um, 
when it comes to public-private partnerships in this restructuring of um, of state-owned companies, for example, um, has been the preparation and the skills that are required in ensuring that the business cases for such uh, partnerships are indeed viable, feasible, and of course sustainable into the future. Now, once again, um, resourcing in order to ensure that those capabilities are there to present the base case forward, but also in ensuring that the, the, the proper oversight is indeed done, it then requires that the right people then uh, form part um, of this process in order to give it further depth and capacity um, in the long term. Let's, uh, Serene, I don't know if you want to add anything. I've got a session on the economy that I wanted to chat to Ndumiso about, but perhaps uh, Amanda, I'm not sure if Nazreen is still around, I uh, want to add uh, some comments with regards to ESCOM. Um, ESCOM is uh, a very dangerous animal for me to talk I think about. We may have lost her there, but let's talk about the, uh, let's talk about the economy and, and the fiscal state of the South African purse, because I think we've, there's been a lot of concern that uh, government just not, does not have the money to finance all its plans. Uh, so, Seren, uh, over to you. Well, clearly they have the money if they're giving uh, $254 billion to ESCOM. Um, uh, imagine what that money could have been used to, to unlock uh, economic growth and that sort of thing. Um Domiso, I was particularly interested uh, in the GDP numbers. Uh, obviously, the biggest factor for uh, the significantly revised GDP numbers, both from Saab and the National Treasury, is ESCOM and um, load shedding. But uh, it's quite divergent numbers between uh, Saab, which in uh, the January MPC slashed its uh, GDP figures, not just for this year, but for next year in half. And uh, for this year, it's uh, almost uh, zero. It's uh, 0.3%, I believe. But uh, the Treasury came out quite positive, or not positive, but more optimistic at around 0.9% for this year and uh, 1.4 or 7% next year. So there's quite divergent views on that. What are your thoughts? Um, there, there certainly are quite divergent views, but uh, even in our modeling, it suggests that the, the, the sub modeling is much closer to what might happen, especially given the severity of the stages of load shedding that, that, that we've seen. Of course, um, when we've um, uh, looked with other colleagues from the CSIR Energy Center and, um, and the sub itself, um, when looking at the, the estimated impact um, in, in losses, production losses in, in the economy, it, it's it's close to a billion rands per day, um, given the continued severity. Now, of course, um, that then results in an estimated uh, slowdown growth of closer to 0.5, 0.3% um, in, in, in growth for this year. Now, this is also reflected, uh, I think, Suren, in the uh, gross loan debt situation, which um, in, in, in the previous year, um, Treasury had actually estimated that um, our gross loan debt would actually stabilize in 2024-25 at 75% of GDP. Uh, now, given um, the outlook that they've actually modeled, and of course, the um, the additional uh, expenditure that has been outlined, that has been pushed down again by another year to 25, uh, 2025 to 26, but at 73.6% uh, of GDP. Now, 
again, it certainly affirms once more that the 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 severity and the weighting of the uh, availability of electricity supply to the uh, gross domestic output for for this year certainly continues to become more and more constrained, especially as we're starting to see uh, uh, speak of stage seven, stage eight load shedding, and perhaps in certain instances, um, uh, some of the commentators have suggested uh, the question of a total collapse and what would that uh, speak to. Now, of course, it certainly has an adverse effect in terms of the gross domestic output that we would anticipate. Rick, do you have any comments or questions with regards to that? Okay. Um, we'll we'll just go back to Amanda. Amanda, are any other areas that uh, that uh, in the budget that you were were maybe surprised by or um, you know were, is worth mentioning either for businesses or individuals? Um, um, it was interesting that for a second year, I know you mentioned it, but the the minister uh, decided or treasury decided not to have a uh, increase in the fuel levy. Um, yeah, uh, especially with the pressures around Sandrail and and uh, our deteriorating roads in South Africa. That's true, uh, Serene. The thing that that also. Um caught my eye was the diesel refund that's been extended to yeah. uh, people in the um, manufacturing of foodstuffs. And um, it would be quite interesting to know how exactly that is going to work and how easy it is to uh, going to be for, for companies or for, for people who are um, in the manufacturing of food to, to claim that refund because we know that uh, in the past – any form of refund with SARS uh, can become quite tricky and uh, the bureaucracy and some of the paperwork involved just doesn't uh, you know, make it necessary, necessarily um, worth your while to do it. But, uh, but as Nazreen earlier alluded to, you know, something is better than nothing. Uh, that's the one thing. There's also been the extension of the research and um, the, uh, yeah, the research tax incentive that's mm. been, um, it's been pushed out for another 10 years which is quite um, quite a good thing I think that is something that our country needs quite a lot of um, to do more innovation to do research and to to get processes to work better and faster so I think that was that was a good thing for me as well it was also the sugar tax um, um, uh, the sugar industry was a bit um, you know, I believe behind the, the curb when it came to the sugar tax first being introduced, mm-hmm. but they've certainly upped the ante in recent over the last year to regarding um, uh, support to the sugar industry. Um, yeah, so um, I thought uh, I'd bring my colleague Akona Mashoba in here. She has not only covered the sugar tax issue, um, but she's covered other sectors that have had uh, asked for support. In addition, Akona also hosts our new, newly launched SME uh, Small Business uh, Conversations podcast, and she uh, can share some of the issues that small businesses are facing or that um, have communicated with her since the launch of the podcast. Oh, yes. Um, I think my biggest concern, and I get the conversation we're having right now with um, the economy um, and where we are in the session. But my biggest concern is whether or not the um, 
provisions that have been announced by the Treasury um, on Wednesday will actually help with job creation because in the conversations I've had with businesses, the the problem is they're not um, creating enough jobs and they are struggling. Business owners are are, are not um, they don't have the workforce to help them um, to to make sure those businesses thrive. And I'm just wondering if these um, solar um, initiatives and the bounce back fund, which has been changed into the energy bounce back fund, it was once a COVID um, fund, if they are actually going to make the impact that is needed um, and help the, the the business owners to stop spending on on electricity and solar and focus on employing more. Um, Dumiso, I don't know if you can speak on that and just give us some light on whether um, these measures will help in any way in, in kind of cutting the costs and helping businesses focus on what is important and what the country actually needs. Um, thanks, Akona, for that. Um, I, I certainly think that for uh, uh, the small, micro and medium enterprises, um, specifically those who are in the business of uh, uh, selling of goods and in certain instances services, this would certainly go a long way um, in ameliorating some of the risks that are associated with outages when it comes to electricity supply. Um, we've certainly seen instances where goods um, have been lost as a result of uh, continued outages. So I think this intervention is one that is quite necessary and, and, and certainly well placed. Um, if, if, if one were to uh, add on to the question again on, the, uh, on small businesses, uh, given what has been proposed within the Business Act um, of 1991 around uh, remote um, work visas, uh, specifically for, for, for higher growth startups and so on, um, that is, is, is also a positive intervention for, for, for particularly high growth startups in this instance, um, which I think these um, uh, incentives around uh, mitigating the risk of energy supply would also be supported by in ensuring that they're able to drive continued production and productivity, whether it be in the goods business or in services specifically. Um, of course, the need is certainly much greater, especially if there are the severity of uh, the stages of load shedding continue to, to, to worsen. Uh, and I would think that in the event that we're able then to see the extent to which that uh, small business is able to take advantage um, of, of such packages, um, further additional support would then be required. And I think we've also seen the contingent liabilities that have been um, um, allocated in the, in the previous two years, specifically as a result of what we've seen in the COVID and the floods and so on, would then also become quite um, uh, useful in instances where um, a greater um, um, interventions are needed to certainly um, improve the impact that it would have for small businesses. And just to um, piggyback on that point, Dumisa, that you've made there, I mean, I, I wonder who these kinds of um, schemes speak to. Um, which business would, um, if like we have a small business owner right now on the space with us, um, who qualifies? Is that clear at this point? Um, and who should um, th these kinds of um, measures focus on in order to, to drive the greatest impact because um, I've, th there was the announcements on solar, but there are some businesses that um, can't afford to get solar at this point and um, rely maybe uh, on batteries. Does this speak to them as well? 
Well, well in this instance, um, uh, there's a specific category, of course, of uh, small businesses that would have the greatest marginal benefit from from this intervention. And from what has been uh, outlined thus far uh, from the uh, solar um, incentive scheme that that has been pronounced, it has been uh, the wording is specifically speaks to solar equipment and, of course, uh, solar power generation. But of course, given the limited um, uh, some of the, the the constraints from a cash flow point of view that a lot of businesses um, are faced with, and of course some of the losses in terms of uh, uh, stockpile in certain instances, it certainly then becomes a bit of a constraint. And one would then hope that, um, given what you've already uh, highlighted earlier around the energy bounce back scheme, uh, that there would be a more amenable um, uh, criterion to assist them to be able to source the kind of borrowings that that would support that. And one would hope that, of course, uh, the allocations towards township and rural-based businesses that have been highlighted in, 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 the, in the budget, um, in the allocation to the tune of over 2.8 billion rand, um, in a combination of those efforts would assist in, in ameliorating particularly the micro um, and medium-sized businesses um, that need to either that are either in the production of goods or um, in the the in in the services sector um, uh, from a, and, and this is I think would be this would be of great benefit if again from a services sector uh, businesses that operate there given that South Africa's economy is knowledge intensive would also um, uh, take the, the the benefit that would be associated with some of the amendments that would happen from a remote working point of view, specifically for businesses that are in the ICT sector that uh, uh, would also um, drive some efficiencies there for them as well. Ndembiso, I think the biggest thing the government can do to support business in South Africa is to fix ESKIM Mm. and offer us a reliable electricity supply. I don't think direct incentives to small businesses per se will have the same positive effect and I think the question will be you know whether the economy can sustain the load shedding we are currently seeing because the longer it uh, continues I think the greater the impact will be and if we seek economic growth at all this year I think it will be nothing short than a miracle. Yeah, I think, Greg, that is certainly an important perspective that you've shared. Certainly at a macro level, the apex priority of government, and I think of all of us as stakeholders, is of course resolving the ESCOM and energy issue that we're presently faced with. When it comes to support interventions for SMMEs, I certainly do think that some of these other instruments should be able to... At a, at, a, at a marginal level, at least, assist in ameliorating some of the immediate um, effects of businesses that are either f- finding themselves with significant losses from a stock point of view, or you find instances of uh, businesses that might find themselves uh, that are highly indebted and might need to let people go, and now uh, revenue is not coming in as anticipated as a result of these outages. So I do think that, as, as certainly as you've quite rightly mentioned, the apex priority of ESCOM is number one. Um, and of course, some of these other um, interventions to certainly uh, support in the interim, given the immediate effects to uh, protect jobs and drive the resilience of some of those businesses and the economy um, in the short term. We have a question here from Youth Capital and uh, a very topical one where were the youth issues or the issues with youth unemployment adequately addressed at the at the budget or through the budget? 
The issue is so interesting, Rake. Um, when when I was looking at the uh, sp- uh, uh, the speech itself from the minister um, and and searching through some of the key words that have been used and the key messaging that the minister was delivering yesterday, uh, searching for words such as uh, uh, jobs or job creation or youth um, for jobs and job creation, the, 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 that search came out at zero. And for you and for uh, youth in particular, it was certainly less than three. Um, and so clearly in this instance, the budget, the, the focus of the budget that the minister and National Treasury wanted to communicate was the prioritization of the energy question. Then I, I would think then the, the in, in, in addressing the energy question, of course, it has a direct impact in terms of the high level of unemployment that uh, young people are adversely affected with. And of course, the effect that it even, that it even has on the um, young people that are not in education, um, employment or any form of training. So again, you've, uh, w- when you've mentioned, Rake, that the apex priority certainly needs to be ESCOM, um, it is indeed quite correct, and I think the sentiment from the messaging from the speech itself is what uh, is what communicated that. Because I, I would think that the thinking in the in, when Treasury was putting together um, the, the, the the speech and this address was to say that if we address this question, all of these other issues would then be addressed. Because youth, if we're talking about the empowerment and the development of youth-owned businesses, if we're talking about um, um, given what has been uh, the, 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 the developments in terms of the auctioning of spectrums and the progress there and how can uh, youth-owned business participate in that sector or in other various sectors. All of those initiatives or programs are certainly dependent on, on, on the speed in which we're able to address the, 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 the crisis of, of energy presently. So, so I, I think that that's certainly the framing or the risk framing of this year's budget and what Treasury sought to communicate. Thank you, Ndumiso. Uh, we've got uh, one of our other journalists at MoneyWeb uh, that's joined the chat. Ntando uh, Tukwana was with us in lockup, um, and she covered, uh, or she's been covering the public wage uh, strike or, or protests and, and, and negotiations for MoneyWeb for, for quite a while, um, and she covered the budget comments on that as well. Ntando, uh, do you want to share some of your views and insights on on where things stand? And it doesn't look like the unions will get their double digits from what the finance minister said. Hi, Siren, and um, hi to everyone on the space. Um, I think a key feature that uh, finance minister uh, Inoko Dongwane kept speaking about yesterday was in terms of the uh, of the um, wage bill was that it does continue to pose a risk to uh, South Africa's fiscal position and that um, unreasonable um, wage settlements do or will will um, create a strain on the wage bill um, and if you look at the the demands that the unions um, have have proposed it's, it's a 10 percent increase. Um, relative to uh, a four percent, a 4.7% um, increase that the government has tabled, the gap is far too wide. Um, and even by Treasury's measures, um, it doesn't it doesn't um, quite match. You know, and and there's that 
disparity there. Um, even the Saab, looking at their projections both for 2023 and 2024 and 2026, 2025, 2026, the, the um, inflation uh, is, is seen at a level far, far below the 10% that the unions uh, are demanding. So it is going to be a very tough um, ask. Uh, they, they're going to struggle getting what they um, what they want. Um, and we actually did a bit of a calculation based on the numbers that came out yesterday. Um, so uh, yesterday, uh, the finance minister did say that the wage bill has breached 700 billion. It's at 701 billion for the year. Um, and if they do... Um, get their way, if unions do get their way and get the 10% increase, it'll actually balloon to 770 billion rand um, for the 2023-2024 year. And that's in, in government's um, short term, which is between now and 2026, doesn't even feature that 770 billion doesn't even feature in its short term. So um, what, what, what should happen remains to be seen. Thanks, Ntando. Uh, Ndomiso, your comments on that? Because that uh, austerity measures of sorts uh, is almost a little bit of a legacy program uh, from Tito Mboweni's time, in addition to some of the structural reforms that he was pushing for. That's uh, uh, Minister Godangwana's predecessor. It certainly is, Shirin. Um, uh, when we look at the uh, expenditure um, that, that, that has been pronounced uh, in this year's budget, we're seeing that the increase is just a little over 3%, which um, in my view, I think it's quite prudent and it certainly de- demonstrates the necessary discipline that is required at a fiscal level to ensure that we don't reach um, a cliff that, that would be unsustainable. When it comes to the public sector wage bill, um, I, I share the same sentiments as Ndando that that will be um, a very difficult ask in the current context and environment that uh, um, our fiscal position uh, is, is is in. But of course, the economic outlook um, that South Africa faces uh, is presently faced in. And I would think that if there would ever be um, any sort of uh, arguments or propositions that would be placed on the negotiating table, um, that ask would need to be looked at um, at the level of the medium to the long term and rather with a prioritization on resolving for the, the immediate concerns. But I think, again, if we double click on the question of the public sector wage bill, what we've often found, uh, as you've mentioned, Siren, from a legacy point of view, is that government has tended to be top heavy. So um, a lot of the senior officials um, are, are, are being remunerated um, um, quite handsomely. And then that, unfortunately, has often happened at the cost of the headcount at the lower level of government, which is where you and I then receive the services that we receive, be it at home affairs, at the traffic department, or whichever client-facing public service that you and I are seeking in the public. And so that has consistently been the somewhat of a a conundrum that has been associated with the public sector wage bill um, as to how do we begin to resolve that? Because where the numbers are needed or where the headcount is needed is is at the lower level where services are actually rendered. In addition to that, uh, there's also the question of, but of course, if you would want a talented um, individual and you want to attract the best talent in the public sector, 
uh, at a senior level, um, you want to get Suren or, or, or another highly talented individual, you would want to pay that individual um, what they're worth in this instance, which then is another argument that tends to be raised. Uh, but again, another uh, opposing argument is to say, but of course, it's a public sector and the orientation of a public sector is not necessarily just for uh, remuneration, but for to being of service and literally being a public service. And so I would imagine these would be some of the um, debates that would be taking place on the negotiating table. But ultimately, I think um, it certainly is a tough ask and what would need to, the resolution or the outcome of this process needs to be one that would serve uh, the South Africa's fiscal position and economic outlook position better in the medium to long term and not in the short term. Ndemisa, on, on that point, and, and I think you make some excellent points, the government expenditure is to grow at around 3%, which is a lot lower than the inflation rate, which, uh, you know, there, there's been a lot of calls on government to cut spending, so I think that is a good example. But how realistic is it? Because we are facing severe challenges. Uh, we have state-owned enterprises who are dependent on government. We also, apart from Eskom, we saw some... Uh, support for uh, uh, the post office, for the NEL, Transnet, and the SAA. Uh, and we also have this wage bill issue and the, the imminent strike, where I don't think a 3.3% budgeted increase for this wage bill will cut it. Uh, do you think it's actually achievable? Well, I think um, as far as estimates go, Rake, um, from a 3% point of view um, or just a slightly over 3% point of view, in all likelihood, it, it won't necessarily uh, just be at that estimated level. It's most likely going to be uh, slightly higher given some of the um, um, inefficiencies that we've seen um, in some government departments and in some SOEs. And that's why I think it's quite crucial um, that at, in this budget and some of the proposals that are being tabled and, and will be uh, d debated, of course, in the budget votes, is how then do we strengthen um, these proposals in the budget with the requisite government's regulatory and legislative mechanisms that will ascertain the, the, the achievement of a just over 3% um, increase in, in expenditure. I think that then becomes the important ingredient in ensuring that at least we're able to remain within a target band um, that is fiscally sustainable. And of course, we don't have a runaway type of uh, uh, scenario in terms of the expenditure outlook that National Tre Treasury has outlined. And so the governance interventions in this instance uh, th then become quite, quite crucial. Yeah, I think that is an, an excellent point. But uh, I think austerity is, uh, is critical. I don't think this is a uh, a budget that will, uh, you know, ooze out the, the message that it is an austerity budget. But I think the proof will be in the pudding if government can stick to this and, and, and our fiscal position uh, not deteriorate uh, throughout this year. I think um, government has done well. And I think the National Treasury has proved once again that it has a grip on finances, despite the political uncertainty we have. And uh, I want to maybe call it even a beacon of light within the, the, the government structures at the moment. Definitely, Ray. Go go ahead, Siren. Um, yeah, it, it, 
It definitely is the case, uh, you know, even from an efficiency perspective of how the the lockup worked. But uh, it's uh, it's essentially a case of of Treasury and 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 now SARS. Uh, one hopes the, the traction can continue, considering the state capture years and and that sort of thing. Uh, Ndomiso, did you have any parting comments? No, thanks, thanks, Sharon. Th- thanks, Rick. I, I, I certainly share the same sentiment around um, National Treasury and, of course, um, SARS in this instance. Um, it's There certainly are institutions that are a beacon of hope. And I think other institutions of government, uh, constitutional institutions in, the, in this instance, um, there are a lot of learnings um, that can be taken from what, what National Treasury has been doing over the past couple of years and what we've seen over the last 15 years, for example. Uh, we've seen um, uh, the strength or the institutional strength of National Treasury, which I think it then says that it's not something that is not possible to achieve. Um, it certainly can be achieved and um, it would certainly place us in a better footing um, over, over the long term. Thanks so much for your time and Demuso. Amanda, any parting shots from your side? What would you like to see in the next uh, February budget? I would uh, like to see that he does not introduce a basic income grant so that we can continue getting um, some tax relief going forward. Well, it seemed like a joke, but there were a few comments in the budget speed and the budget documents that doesn't seem to support it. So it might be worth um, looking into. Um, that's it for today's Twitter space. Thanks to all our guests and all our uh, followers that have joined in. We appreciate the time. Just uh, log into the MoneyWeb website and uh, we've got quite a extensive coverage of budget 2023. Thanks again, everyone, for listening in.